Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Brought to you by Nomad. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where we discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience of field, and our members' stories. Welcome back to another episode of the Turkey Call All Access Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Paul Campbell. On today's episode, I sit down with Rob Keck, former NWTF CEO. Rob and I talked about the beginning years of the National Wild Turkey Federation, some of the challenges that the organization faced head on to lay the groundwork for 50 years of successful conservation of the wild turkey and the preservation of our hunting heritage. Enjoy this episode of the Turkey Call All Access Podcast with Rob Keck. All that and more in 90 seconds. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Bass Pro Shops and the National Wild Turkey Federation stand together to help make a difference for the wildlife and scenic lands that enrich our hunting lifestyle. Since 1973, we have positively impacted more than 22 million acres and invested more than $9 million into wild turkey research, an effort supported by Bass Pro Shops. The restoration of the wild turkey is one of America's greatest conservation success stories, but the work is far from over. Through the continued contributions of partners like Johnny Morris and Bass Pro Shops, the NWTF mission is a movement that is delivering the right conservation work at the right place and at the right scale. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. A manuscript? I'm not sure what it is, but you'll have, I think you'll have more knowledge of this. This is a history of the early years of the National Wild Turkey Federation by Wayne Bailey and Neil Weekly. Yeah. Remember this? I do. Bob Falcher, dear friend of mine, Bob Falcher made a copy of that for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, I, this is one of those, I, I, I've read this thing probably five times. And just because, you know, like we talked about, this is, the formative years of this organization. And I think it's just, it's, it's neat to see what you guys went through organizationally uh, and what, um, I mean, like, this is just, I just, this is such a, it's just funny. This is in here. Allied engineering of Orangeburg, South Carolina donated a Pitney Bowes plate embosser to the NWTF. This device saved much time and effort in building chapter and media lists. Mm -hmm. And so that made it into this because that just a, a, an embossing machine was such a big deal. It was, I mean, we're talking about a time before computers were yeah. an everyday occurrence. And, uh, 
you know, using mimeograph machines. And, uh, you know, it was just, uh, in today's world would be crude. And, uh, it was a challenge just to try to get, uh, you know, mailing lists and to get mailing labels to put on magazines and to, uh, have chapter correspondence. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, that was a big deal. I, uh, I want to, there's a, there's a quote in here that I want to, I want to read to you and then I want, and it's your quote. So this is going to be fun. This is straight from the horse's mouth, right? So this is a letter that you wrote to Neil Weekly. Uh, and, and it was during your, when you were, when you were hired, I, you said, I, I signed on to fill the shoes of Jerry Allen as director of chapter development. What a surprise when I came that first day to my office at what's the name of the street? Buncom Buncom Street. Buncom Street. I had a desk that was literally stacked three feet in mail. Membership was irate and not having received their magazines or having received them late. Uh, this was due to the way the service bureau was handling all the membership. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and it was it, you, you put in here basically there there was um, just it sounds like there was some some tension or some fear. That you had, I mean, because you were a school teacher in Pennsylvania, packing your family up and coming down to this essentially just fledgling organization. I mean, completely uprooting your life to come down. Why did you do that? Well, first of all, I had a love for turkeys. Yeah. And I'll never forget. It was actually in 77, in the fall of 77, Bob Besh, who was the uh, national president of the board of directors of NWTF. He had uh, written a letter to me about a job opening and it was to fill Jerry Allen's shoes. And, uh, I wasn't really interested in leaving where I was at in Perry County, Pennsylvania. I lived at the foot of the Tuscarora mountain. I wasn't married. I had a great trout stream at my back door. Turkey hunted out the front door trapped red foxes in the fields that were at the base of the mountain. And, uh, you know, the school teacher had off in the summertime and, uh, I was just enjoying life. I mean, big time. I didn't even respond to him. He finally called me. (laughs) And, uh, you know, at that time I was not only a school teacher, but I was also working as program director for Penn's Woods products because, uh, I'd won the Pennsylvania state calling championship. I'd won the U.S. Open and had won the world championship in 1976. And so I knew so many people in the turkey world. I'd put on seminars and clinics, uh, had helped create some of those chapters that, uh, you know, were fledgling of the NWTF. And Bob and the board felt that I'd be a natural to take over Jerry's position. But I just told him, I said, look, I'm not really interested. I I'm liking what I'm doing right now. And he said, well, look, we've got a board meeting coming up in December down at Brooks Holloman's uh, lodge in Alabama. And he said, you can deer and turkey hunt while you're down there. Well, that caught my attention and they're going to pay my way down. And uh, they did. And so I got down there and killed a deer and killed a buck. And, uh, you know, I knew most of the board members, and uh, they made a real strong plea to me about coming down. I said, okay. I said, I want two weeks. I said, I got to think about this. 
and I wanted to talk to my mom and dad. I wanted to talk to the superintendent of the school district, a guy I had taken turkey hunting before. And so I went back back home to Pennsylvania from that Alabama meeting and uh, met with my mom and dad. I said, look, here's uh, sort of a change in direction. What do you think? Well, mom didn't want me to move to South Carolina. Dad said, go for it. So then I went and talked to the superintendent. And he's the guy that really sort of cemented it. He said, Rob, I hate to lose you as a teacher in the school district. He said, uh, we love you here. And he said, but I'll tell you something. He said, I had an opportunity back when I was teaching school before I became superintendent to go into the private industry. And he said, I've kicked myself ever since for never trying it. Mm. And he said, I'll tell you what. He said, if it doesn't work out in South Carolina in the course of a year, he said, I'll find a job for you back up here in the school district. I said, all right. And that's all I had to hear. So I knew I had security if it didn't work out. And so I packed up and, you know, I wasn't married. So it wasn't hard for me to pack up and move. And uh, I'm in South Carolina. When I left Pennsylvania, I had snow. It was a record snowfall that year. I had snow up to the eaves of my one-story house that I lived in. And uh, I rolled into Edgefield, February 1, 1978. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful day. And uh, birds were singing. Azaleas were blooming. I'm saying, hmm, it's almost turkey season down this part of the world. And uh, anyway, I said, maybe I made the right decision. But when I walked in that office and I saw that stack of hate mail, literally. Yeah. And they hadn't been serviced for some time because this was February and Jerry was gone since back, I don't know, late summer. And so this mail had just stacked up without any kind of response. And I thought to myself, what have I walked into? And at the same time, there was also an employee that was no longer there. She was just recently fired who had embezzled money from the Federation. And I'm thinking, Oh man, I've made a really bad mistake. You're just saying you, this is a dumpster fire. Yeah. And I'm thinking, Oh man. And I thought I'm going to give this 30 days. I started working through it and, uh, you know, I'd already been to one national convention. That was before I went to work. It was in 1977. It was in March 77 in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And uh, at that time, Gene Smith, who was the editor of Turkey Call Magazine, he asked me to do a column. So I started writing a column for Turkey Call before I actually went to work and moved to South Carolina. I was talking turkey, right? Yeah. And so anyway... Gene gave me a lot of encouragement. He said, man, stick, stick it out. He said, we'll get through this. And so it was his encouragement as much as anything that really helped me get through this thing. They finally got things settled with this person that embezzled some money. And fortunately, there were a couple of board members, Cliff McLeod, uh, John Barton, and Earl Groves all gave some substantial money, personal money. Yeah. To help us through this rough spot. Those guys became really great mentors of mine in those early days and uh, helped me whittle down that pile 
and then began to work to build a relationship with these members in these chapters. Yeah. I think, and, and it's, it's neat reading through this, you know, I, uh, Neil and Wayne, they talked about those, those fir- that first wave of, of membership that really financially supported the organization. And, and, and you, you mentioned the, the hunt down at Brooks Hall, Holloman. Yep. <clears throat> you mentioned his hunt down there in here. They wrote that it was uh, to date. It was the best, attended board meeting because they were hunting turkeys were hunting. and hunting deer. Sure. So, but it's, but, and, and, you know, you, and it talks in here about how, how Brooks helped secure money. And then all of the members that came in and, and, and helped, you know, f- with, with finances and, sure. and loans. And, and it's just, it's, it's, it's neat that that, that tradition of, of just being completely member centric is just still here. Yeah. And that's the heart and soul of this industry or this, of this business yeah. to its very, very core. I want to, I want to quote you again on this here. Um, you know, you, you, you were standing there and, and you wrote to Neil, you said, I, I, I was left with, with two options to pack my bags and head back North or to roll up my sleeves and go to work. And this is my hopes were to, to really bring about the support that was necessary to have a viable and functional organization. What was the first thing that you did when you decided, okay, I'm going to give this 30 days. It was the very first thing you did. Well, it wasn't long after I started that uh, we had the second NWTF national convention and that was in Kansas city. And it was there, you know, just a few weeks after I started that I had a chance to look at members face to face. And that's where things started to gel. I told them, I said, look, I walked into this thing. I didn't create these problems, but we're going to fix them. And we're going to make sure that uh, your chapters are taken care of. But I said, work with me. And it was building those relationships, person to person, eyeball to eyeball, and then after the convention, working that phone and going to visit with them to try to show that, uh, you know, I was going to follow up and do what I said we were going to do. I had to build trust. There wasn't any trust at that time, the organization. I was also fighting on another area, old line, old timey turkey hunters were saying, all you're doing is put more turkey hunters in the woods. You're making it tougher for us to go kill a turkey. And here's some guys that had, uh, you know, some respect and they didn't want to support NWTF. They said, all you're doing is create more turkey hunters. And I said, well, I beg to differ with you. I said, we're putting turkeys out there on the ground as well. And it was really when I took over in 81 that we made that a priority. It wasn't a priority in those mm-hmm. early days. Tom Rogers, the founder, that wasn't his vision. His vision was to have a research center. And I told Tom, I said, look, there's 30 states that have a turkey season. But I said, you got the remainder of our states that don't have one. I said, they've got to see turkeys before they're going to want to fund research on them. And that's where he and I disagreed. And, uh, it was very, very important that we made that in 1981 when uh, I took over, that that became the top priority of the organization, trapping and transferring. 
Earl Groves made it very clear. He said, Rob, the best thing you can do is show as many pictures as you can of turkeys coming out of boxes. He said, uh, people don't understand research, but they can certainly look at a picture and they can understand a turkey coming out of a box into a place where they hadn't been for a hundred years. And his mentorship and his guidance was probably the most profound, not only for me, but for NWTF. If there was one person over the last 50 years that made the biggest difference in the organization, it was Earl Groves. Hey, y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Bass Pro Shops and the National Wild Turkey Federation stand together to help make a difference for the wildlife and scenic lands that enrich our hunting lifestyle. Since 1973, we have positively impacted more than 22 million acres and invested more than $9 million into wild turkey research, an effort supported by Bass Pro Shops. The restoration of the wild turkey is one of America's greatest conservation success stories, but the work is far from over. Through the continued contributions of partners like Johnny Morris and Bass Pro Shops, the NWTF mission is a movement that is delivering the right conservation work at the right place and at the right scale. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. That, the last conversation we had, I asked you, the very last question I asked you, or one of the last questions, was the, the Mount Rushmore of NWTF. And you immediately said Earl Groves. Yeah. And we didn't get to the other three. Um, and and I, I, I want to learn more about Earl Groves because he, he's, I mean, his, his fingerprints, I mean, his, his name is in this, <laughs> this here all over. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's neat seeing like, here's, here's a quote from, from Gene Smith. And I think that this is, so this was about, this was in, in March of 79 that this quote came from. So you're, you're with the organization at that point. You had just started a few months before, right? Mm-hmm. February 1st. And, and so Mr. Smith is talking about kind of the, the process to get to you know, with all the grassroots support that has, that has brought this organization almost, it sounds like, like it was at a precipice, like, okay, we're up and walking. We're either going to walk off of a cliff and go backwards or we're going to run forward. And so he, his quote was talking about the, the grassroots support um, with, uh, you know, bringing on guys like, uh, you know, James Earl Kenimer and, and, and um, Wayne Bailey and just getting the agency guys to support the organization that had the, the scientific clout. And then, you know, moving forward with the grassroots says it's welded together enough grassroots support through membership strength to make a decisive difference. And I love this, Rob, wherever 
and whenever the wild turkey or its habitat needs to be defended. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a quote. Wherever or whenever the wild turkey or its habitat needs to be defended. And that that's never, that's not changed. No. I mean, if that changes, you might as well pack up your tent and go somewhere else. Yeah. When, when, when organizationally, I mean, it must have been, and you've talked about some of the heat that you've gotten. It must have been very chaotic in that 1979 to 1980, 81, when things started to, to kind of shift culturally within the organization um, in here it talks about, you know, the call makers, how instrumental they were in the early and still to this day um, about getting Turkey calls in people's hands, supporting the organization, kind of the, the marketing side of things, but to bring more eyes. Um, but it's, it sounds like it was like stressful well, during this time. There's no question about it. I mean, direction was, was argued on the board of directors and with Tom and, and, you know, with all due respect to Tom, uh, you know, it was in 1981 when Earl Groves came to me and said, you're going to be the new leader. You're going to be the new executive vice president. I said, what? I didn't know what had taken place in that board meeting, but come to find out that, uh, the board finally had enough mm. and, Tom resigned. And, and uh, again, all due credit to Tom for creating the organization, getting it off the ground, getting a magazine, but the priorities were different. Yeah. And uh, that's where there was a lot of that turmoil that you, you mentioned. It was just, uh, there was dissatisfaction amongst the leadership on the board and yeah. dissatisfaction of some of the troops out there on the ground. Yeah. And in, in here, Wayne and Wayne or Neil, they, they talk about how Tom was almost a victim of his own successes. Yeah. That he had, you know, the, he created this organization that really, you know, was moving forward, was running on two legs, full steam and was evolving. And, and, and they, they did a really nice job of, of not speaking ill of, of Tom and, and I think, and, you know, I, and I'm not yeah, wanting no, to, in no way, being mm, disparaging to Tom. I'm just stating the fact that there yeah. was a difference of opinion. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. That's, that's okay. You know, I, I want to, I want to ask you like, so early eighties when kind of Turkey hunting went from just this, and there's, there's a quote in here, Turkey hunters are sometimes said to be a special breed more selective, more, more protective of their sport than others. And you talked about some of those old hardline turkey hunters. But when, when you had guys like Will Primos and, and Cus Strickland that started running through the woods with video cameras, what, what you know, organizationally at the NWTF, what were you guys thinking when, when that started to happen, when that kind of the, the hunting media industry within the turkey space really started to well i jumped in i i actually produced the first videos okay before cousin and will uh i did that through 3m company and their mastery series i had a five part and it was high end this was all shot on film not on video and uh you know it was a five part mastery series understanding the wild turkey no kidding but even prior to that I was on the uh, hunting committee of the uh, NRA 
And Jim Noreen, who was in charge of Hunter Services, asked me to put together a video. And uh, of course, NRA paid for it on turkey hunting. Because what we had, we had a, a brand new generation of people that had never turkey hunted before. And I think for them to appreciate it, they had to understand what this game was all about. And so there was a tremendous hunger for people to learn about calling and hunting and all the equipment and everything that went along with it. You know, it was at a time when if you announced there was going to be a turkey calling contest, the place would be packed, thousands of people. I never forget, I did a radio show, WBEN Buffalo. This was in 75. And uh, it was one where the first half I talked about turkey hunting went through calls and all that kind of thing. And the second half of the show was uh, people would call in with their turkey call. Well, most of them were pranksters, but there was this barber from Orchard Park, New York, that called in and uh, was actually serious about it. And uh, it was Dick Kirby. And uh, that's when he was still a barber. He wasn't you know, selling calls commercially. And I had announced that, uh, you know, I'm going to be putting on a seminar uh, at the Rod and Gun Club, which is right there at the airport in Buffalo. Well, that place was standing room only. Mm. The fire marshal was there. They had seating for a thousand people and he had to turn people away at the door. I mean, that's the way it was back then because people were hungry for it. And that was before YouTube and before all the social media. People had no other way to learn. And then it was the, you know, the video camera that certainly uh, started making a difference. But even preceding that, it was the tape recorder, the cassette tape recorder, where when these people would come to a calling contest or a seminar, you could hear when somebody started calling or somebody started speaking, you could hear all these tape recorders clicking on just to record what was being said or the calls that were being made at a contest. And so people were hungry to learn about this bird, about the sport, about all the aspects that went along with it. Yeah. This is going to be the last quote from this, I promise. That's okay. And we, we talked on the front end of this about you know, how the NWTF is, is just woven into and, and quite frankly, just created the, the culture that surrounds modern turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. And so it, this is from either Neil or Wayne. It says, there is no organization for turkey hunters or systematic publication of literature relating to turkey hunting and no forum for hunters to gather and share experience and knowledge. The Federation provided all of these things. And I, I think that, you know, looking back, you know, right now we've, we've obviously, we've got some population issues that we're facing in the country and, and, you know, organizationally the, I mean, wild Turkey, it's in the name, right. You know, we've, we've taken some heat as an organization and, you know, some of the criticism is, well, it's a, it's a, it was a research organization to begin with. And I feel that, the, the evolution of just, you know, we wanted to build a research center to, okay, what do we do? How do we bring more people into this? How do we bring, you know, start to create that culture and that, that home for turkey hunters that, that, I mean, you, you were on the forefront. I mean, that's such an important, 
evolution in this in this organization and just is turkey hunters and what what do you think that i mean as we're wrapping up 50 years i mean this organization and the mission of this organization is more important than it's ever been what what do you from your perspective what do you what do you think that the next 50 years looks like that's a big that's a big question we're a country that is in turmoil. The impacts that uh, major decisions made at uh, state and national levels will impact not just turkey hunting, but hunting in general. As we look at the attacks on gun ownership, as we look at the attacks on wildlife management, when you look at States like Colorado, which have, uh, you know, outlawed the hunting of black bears in the spring to now it's going to be on the ballot to outlaw mountain lion hunting and bobcats. You look at the restrictions on trapping. You look at all the attacks that are out there. They all will have some impact as it relates back to turkey hunting. I look at groups like the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation that uh, just led the way in writing the legislation that uh, changed this attack that was coming on to groups like National Archery in the Schools Program, where they were going to limit, take away the funding to these schools that were, you know, hosting, you know, archery education or hunter education or shooting programs. And so in the next 50 years, we've we're going to have to be dealing with those kinds of things. And as we become a more urban society, the general population's touch with the land is becoming less and less. I'll never forget back earlier this summer, I had my entire family at Yellowstone National Park. And it was one evening we were in Hayden Valley and we were watching these huge herds of bison. We were watching a wolf that was trying to make a sneak attack on, on some antelope. And it was a place where there were other tourists, other people were there with their spotting scopes and binoculars looking. And I overheard a woman ask, I wonder what time the Park Service puts all these animals up at night. People have lost touch with reality. And the more and more that people become removed from the outdoors, their understanding of managing populations is going to be challenged more and more all the time. We've been disnified in so many ways. We've given human qualities to animals. We've been put into situations where we've had to try to learn to live with wildlife, yet have them eat up our shrubbery, causing more and more accidents on highways like during the rut. Or I look at a state like New Jersey, the most densely populated uh, state of with human beings, also having one of the highest densities of black bear populations in the country, and more bear damage complaints in one state than the entire Northeast. And it was at a time when there was no bear hunting at all. The governor had stopped it. And then the governor 
current governor finally forced after all these different issues popping up, having to reinstate it. I think there's going to be many, many issues that we as hunters are going to have to deal with, with this human population that's out of touch with managing wildlife. And it will have an impact on turkeys, turkey management, and the National Wild Turkey Federation. I'm bullish on the future. I think that we'll figure it out. But it's going to take money. It's going to take education. It's going to take understanding. But it's also going to take political clout. Mm. The politics of wildlife management trumps, with no pun intended, the science of wildlife management today. And that's what we've got to deal with. And as we become more politically irrelevant, the chances of us losing in different areas of this country are going to become more and more obvious. I think that uh, we learn by each mistake that we make. And I think it's going to be up to organizations like the NWTF and others to try to take the bull by the horns and to try to make the right moves politically. One of the things that uh, is, is very disturbing to me is that sportsmen and women are not a reliable voting block. I'll use the state of Ohio, your state, as an example. In the 2020 election, out of over 800,000 licensed hunters and anglers in your state, there was 167,000 that did not vote in that presidential election. Hmm. Out of that number of licensed hunters and anglers, there was over 30,000 that were not even registered to vote which is unconscionable to me. And you add those together and you've got over 200,000 licensed anglers and hunters that could have participated in that presidential election and didn't. You think back to 2016, Donald Trump was elected by only 146,000 votes with three swing states. 200,000 votes in Ohio can make the difference in the next presidential election. Yeah. And if we elect the wrong people to these offices, they will make it harder and harder for us to manage wildlife, which would include wild turkeys. It'll limit access to many of our public lands. And those are the challenges that we face. I think that we can overcome this, but it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take work that uh, is unlike any that we've been involved with in the first 50 years. We've taken so much for granted. Sportsmen and women are going to have to become more politically active than ever before. Or we won't have this great hunting heritage to pass on to future generations. Get active. That's it. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's imperative. Last question. Just names, Mount Rushmore, the NWTF. We got Earl Groves. I need three more. 
I'll just say, I'm going to put you on there just so that you don't have to say Rob Keck. <laughs> I will help you. So give me two. So we got Earl Groves and Rob Keck. Give me two more. Well, you're, you're kind on that. <laughs> you know, I really don't want to give you that answer. There were so many critical people. Yeah. You know, one of my employees, Carl Brown, made a huge, huge difference. He was my director of chapter and membership development. I brought him on, you know, in 1981. And he made a huge, huge impact as well. Not given near the credit that he needs to get. I look at uh, some of those early, early members that, uh, I mean, you'd probably have to put the founder on there. I mean, mm-hmm. if you, you were, but I'm, I'm not going to tell you who those other three, yeah. I'm going to just suggest other people. I mean, I, I look uh, before we really had a team of biologists at NWTF, Wayne Bailey was certainly one that, yeah. uh, you know, led our technical committee and had the respect of so many of the, of the wildlife professionals and our scientists yeah. and really helped with in the creation of seasons and bag limits and, and what have you. Uh, to me, there's so many great, great people that were part of this that yeah. uh, I, I don't want to throw sure. one person. Out. And, and just to cement that statement in, in this you know history of the early years, there are multiple times in here where someone came to the table with money and kept the lights on. Yeah. And then it's just, they're in there for just one sentence and then they, and they just, sure. and it's just like that person came in with, with a, with a check and, and a smile yep. and kept it moving. And that's it. That was just their moment in the, yeah. in the, the NWTF history and lore. And then, but their that moment was so important because it, it kept, it kept the doors open. It kept the mission moving forward. And I mean, it's just the Mount Rushmore were just four. You could have a thousand of them and yeah. it wouldn't be enough. I mean, I look at, uh, you know, a guy that was not on the board of directors, he didn't want the recognition. Johnny Morris, who is absolutely the biggest, largest single contributor to NWTF financially. And, uh, you know, Johnny and I have been friends since 1979. We met on a turkey hunt in central Florida. Mm. And, uh, you know, here's a guy that didn't want any recognition. And, of course, he and the founding of Bass Pro Shops uh, have been just a huge, huge part of conservation in general. Uh, you know, some people, I mean, Richard Childress likes to refer to him as a Teddy Roosevelt, uh, modern day Teddy Roosevelt. I got to sh- share one quick story about John. I'll never forget. Uh, we were, uh, we had all the chapters and it was the final phase. Uh, we just built the warehouse at NWTF and, uh, our banquet program was rocking and rolling and it was in the summertime. We had over a thousand of our volunteers and we had the place pipe and drape look like the Delta ballroom of opera land. Johnny was there for this dedication. And, uh, anyway, the program's rolling along. We're in sort of the upper deck in the, uh, in the warehouse. And John says, how much do you have to go yet to pay off the building? I said, 1.1 million, but I said, I've got commitments for it, but I said, it's still not in the palm of my hand yet. He said, can I use your phone? I said, yeah, I didn't think any more about it. And the next thing I'm back up on stage and, and, uh, anyway, going through the program and I want to bring Johnny up to recognize him for all that he had done. So I bring Johnny up on stage 
and he hands me a folded up piece of paper that was, uh, he was staying at the Radisson down in, in Augusta. And it was one of those off the, you know, the side of your bed there where they've got a pen and a, and a pad of paper. And it said, I owe you $1.1 million, five-year plan, Johnny Morris and friends. And the place just erupted. I mean, it was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. We had the ribbon cut. It wasn't a ribbon cutting. We used a 21-gun salute, all with muzzle loaders. And mm. uh, I wanted something unique, something different. Well, then fast forward to February, Operland. Okay. Bringing Johnny out on stage in just a moment. And uh, he hands me this folded up envelope. He said, put this in your pocket. Don't open it until tomorrow. Anyway, bring Johnny out. We unveil the car. It was going to be in the all-star race in, in Charlotte and had NWTF all over it. And uh, anyway, John exits. He's going to Daytona. Well, that night back at the room, Susan's already, my wife, she's already in, in bed and I'm getting ready and I'm emptying my pockets. And here's this folded up envelope. And I thought, well, Johnny said, don't open it up till the next day. I look at my phone or my watch and it's like one minute after 12. And I said, well, it's the next day I open it up. Here's this handwritten check for $1.1 million. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. I start dialing my CFO, my chief financial officer's number. Susan said, who are you calling? I said, I'm calling James Sparks. Don't you bother him. I said, look, honey. I said, any CFO worth his salt would want to know that we've just paid off the building. And uh, there was John. He could have been out on stage, presented a big check, and everybody applaud. He didn't want that kind of recognition. So here's a guy that many, many times wrote big checks, didn't want anybody to know about it. To me, I mean, there's a guy that provided the support when we needed it. And uh, would you add him to Mount Rushmore? Well, you'd certainly have to give him big consideration for sure. A great friend, the greatest friend, as it comes to his support of NWTF. Good man. Yeah. Good man. Rob, thank you. You bet. Thank you. Always enjoy it. Good. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Bass Pro Shops and the National Wild Turkey Federation stand together to help make a difference for the wildlife and scenic lands that enrich our hunting lifestyle. Since 1973, we have positively impacted more than 22 million acres and invested more than $9 million into wild turkey research. 
an effort supported by Bass Pro Shops. The restoration of the wild turkey is one of America's greatest conservation success stories, but the work is far from over. Through the continued contributions of partners like Johnny Morris and Bass Pro Shops, the NWTF mission is a movement that is delivering the right conservation work at the right place and at the right scale. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. 